You're listening to the conservative mic. So listen to this. Listen to this. Okay, listen. We have some bad hombres here. Hi, I'm Mike Franzone, and this is the Conservative Mike. Thank you so much for listening today. Well, I'm telling you today, I want to speak about politics, but more specifically, uh, politics and Christianity, uh, politics and preachers, politics and the people. And we're going to answer a lot of questions today, like should Christians be involved in the political process? And if so, how should they or how much should they be involved? And what is our responsibility as believers to our government, to the political process, to America? Should Christians participate in a government even if it's corrupt? We'll look at this question. What about pastors and preachers and ministers? And should they speak from the pulpit on political issues? What about moral issues and how they affect our nation? What about separation of church and state? And does this apply? I mean, is it even in the Constitution? Here's a question we want to look at today, too. It is a sin. It, is it a sin not to vote? Is it a sin not to vote? And how involved are you in the American political process? And I'll tell you what, we're going to have a lot of questions. Uh, we're going to try to answer and get through today. I'll touch on a lot of these today, but I'll tell you what really got me motivated. I found this article in the CBN, Christian Broadcasting News. And let me just read the headline to you, maybe some quotes from it. It said, 15 million Christians aren't registered to vote. Churches across the U.S. Participating, participating in voter registration Sunday. Now I'm going to pick out a few things. This is what really got me. The goal is to get Christians across America more engaged in the political process. 90 million Christians are eligible to vote, but as many as 40 million fail to vote in presidential election cycles. And according to this article, 15 million are not even registered to vote. Uh, folks, that's a lot of power. As he says in the article, some people say churches should stay out of politics, that Christians should not be involved in the political process, and I'm going to tell you today, I think we are. I think we have a mandate to be involved in the political process. So, you know, you think about it. Our government is a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. So I believe that we do have a biblical mandate as a believer in Christ to participate, to obey, and be involved in some way with our government. I mean, let me just show you some scriptures like Romans chapter 13 verse 1 through 7. I'm going to read that to you. I've got my Bible out here. Romans chapter 13. Let me get to that right now. This is, uh, here it is, verse 1 through verse 7. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whatever resists or whoever Resist the authority, resist the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise for the same. Listen to verse 4. For he is God, 
minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers, attending uh, continually uh, to this very thing. Render therefore to all that is due, taxes to whom taxes are due, custom to customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Now, look at the second verse. It's way over in 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to look at uh, two verses here. Therefore I exhort first of all that supplication, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. He says we're to pray for our leaders, all right, and give thanks. Ah, there's another one. All the way to the Old Testament, Jeremiah 29, listen to this, verse 7. It says, seek peace. Seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. We have a mandate to pray for that city, to be involved in that city and pray for peace in that city. Look at, let's, look at this. i got one more. Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 15. Here it is. By me kings reign and rulers decree justice. Folks, Joseph and Daniel in the Bible, they were leaders in their government. Matthew and Zacchaeus, they were even tax collectors, if you remember that. So if you don't get involved by the scriptures I just read to you, if you don't get involved, you're not rendering to Caesar the things that are Caesar's according to the Bible. Matthew 22, 21. I think it's ridiculous to think that God would ordain a human government and tell his people to stay out of it. You know, only God is the judge, but if you don't vote, if you don't inform yourself, if you don't speak out, I think you're disobeying God. So if you never vote, if you don't get involved, if you don't speak out, where does that leave the country? I think it leaves the country in a big mess. I mean, the Christian worldview speaks of all areas of life, including political engagement. And, and, and I want you to think, the decisions made by governments have substantial impact on people, and you and me are people. Augustine, who wrote, wrote this, he, he wrote that believers are citizens of the city of God, but on this side of eternity, we belong to the city of man. Therefore, we must be good citizens of both cities. I think you're required by God to be a good citizen of the country that you live in. I can hear people crying right now. Oh, but politics is such a dirty business. You know, it's become that way. Why? Because I think we have failed as Christians, as believers, to get involved. We have failed as Christians to run for office, to get involved, to speak out. And today, 
because of that, you got this vicious group of progressive socialists, Democrats, and a few Republicans, don't want to leave the deep state Republicans out, that practice the policy of personal destruction, as they say. We have all of that, the deep state, and all of that stuff going on. So the big question is, can we make a difference? I say yes. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. Here's one. If you remember back in 2012, remember that election with King Obama versus droopy Mitch Romney? That was a great choice, wasn't it? 30 million Christians, evangelicals, that's the estimate, did not vote. What did we get? Well, we got no hope, and we got the change we deserved, and that was Obama. In 2016, that election, the election of President Trump, a record number of Christians and evangelicals voted, almost all for Trump. And what happened? We got an amazing upset. We dodged a bullet called Hillary. President Trump is trying to drain this dirty, muddy, messy swamp. And that's what it is. I don't have an abundance of hope really in either party frankly, Republican or Democrat. Ultimately, my hope is in God. I hope your hope is too. He can change hearts, he can change cultures, and God can change nations. I'm a Christian first, a conservative second, and a Republican third. President Trump is hated because he's an alien life form to the deep state. And in their worldview, he must be rooted out and destroyed. His election began to drain the swamp in some amazing way. And let me say this, you know, you can criticize President Trump, but sometimes the moment makes the man. In President Trump's own way, he's healing the land. God's using him to change our direction, to change our culture, and ultimately heal the land. Now, he's also stirring up a hornet's nest at the same time, but sometimes you've got to stir things up just a little bit. So that brings me to another point. I want to give you a very brief history of politics from the pulpit. For those of you who say that preachers should never get involved with politics, they should stay out of it, they shouldn't say a word, you know, you need to keep quiet, y'all need to just talk about love and things like that. I just want to give you a little history if I can. Now, the secularists would rather... Christians continue buying the lie that pastors and churches should only deal with spiritual things, right? Theological discussions that never manage to touch or impact, you know, any, uh, any, the world at all. They would have Christians believe that the church has nothing relevant to say in any matters of public policy. Just keep your mouth shut is what they want. Now, such ideas are not only made up of lies, they're specific specifically intended to keep their enemies neutralized. They want you to shut up so they can continue to advance their political agenda. All right. American churches have always been on the forefront of politics if you look at history and they've done so without even being subject to taxation. You remember the famous book by Alex de Tocqueville from France who came to America. This is called Democracy in America. I want to just read this quote this French historian wrote from the book. The Americans combined the notions of Christianity and of liberty, 
so intimately in their minds that it is impossible to make them conceive the one without the other. The Christian roots of liberty have been recognized since the early days of colonial America, and the seeds of the American Revolution were sown early on this continent. Now, folks, many colonial pastors preached on the need for good government as an authority delegated by God. Let me give you some examples. There was a Reverend Jonathan Mayhew. He's credited with coining the well-known phrase of the revolution, no taxation without representation. He preached political sermons over the course of several years prior to the American Revolution. He strongly opposed the Stamp Act. His snare-broken, I love this, his snare-broken sermon was prompted by the repeal of that tax. In 1750, he had a sermon on submission to government examined, and he says, obedience to such matters, rulers, to such rulers as do not perform the pleasure of God by doing good, but the pleasure of the devil by doing evil. And such are not therefore God's ministers, but they're the devil's ministers, he said. There was a congregational preacher, pastor, Reverend Samuel West. He delivered a sermon on the right, here's this quote, here's the actual title of the sermon, on the right to rebel against governors. He preached that sermon for the Massachusetts Council and House of Representatives in Boston in 1776. In England, the American Revolution was known as, you ready for this? In England, the American Revolution was known as the Presbyterian Revolution because so many Presbyterian pastors were influential in lighting the fires of the revolution. It gets better. Reverend John Witherspoon, he preached on the similarities between the bondage of the ancient Hebrews in Exodus and the bondage under which the colonies suffered from England. Witherspoon even joined the Continental Congress and he signed the Declaration of Independence. There is another preacher named Abraham Keteltas, he preached political sermons in favor of the American Revolution. James Caldwell was a Presbyterian minister who became an army chaplain in the Continental Army. He was known as the Soldier Parson. And then there was a Reverend uh, Peter Mullenberg, who was a pastor and a colonel in the militia. Now, he's the historical figure after whom a Reverend Oliver in the movie The Patriot is modeled after. The story uh, going that Molenberg had begun a sermon from Ecclesiastes to everything there is a season. He took off his ministerial robe, revealed a military uniform. He was also a brigade commander at the Battle of Yorktown, which effectively won the revolution of America. There's Reverend Samuel Cooper. He preached a sermon on October 25, 1780 on the commencement of the Constitution I mean, some of his members of his con congregation included John Adams, Samuel Adams, Joseph Orme, John Hancock. Sounds like a wicked political church. There was even a Jewish congregation in Newport, Rhode Island, who wrote George Washington a letter uh, in 1790, pronouncing a blessing on Washington, stating that in light of the new era of freedom being ushered in, we cannot but acknowledge to be the work of the great God who ruleth in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, doing whatever seems good to him. Where are the American clergy 
who will stem the tide of religious oppression today. All this stuff is rising in our land. Where are those preachers who will stand up and Christians and stand up and take action against those political forces? We need restoration. We need restoration of the American preacher, but we need restoration of the of the Christian as well here. Europe's Reformation gave the world two very unique individuals, the American clergy and the American statesman, the preacher and the politician. Their lead on the world stage changed forever history dialogue and governance role in the human saga. There are 50 signers of the Declaration of Independence. 29 were preachers who held degrees in theology. The colonists or the colonial pulpits were the ramparts of the American Revolution for which preachers of all denominations delivered fiery barbs of freedom and self-determination. It was America's clergy who lit the fires of freedom in the minds of the colonists, stirring, the, stirring our founding fathers to move against the crown. It was these powerful men of God, preachers like George Whitfield, who risked their lives and fortunes for a political ideal. King George called the cadre of colored rebels. You ready for this? King George called them the Black Robe Regiment and ordered that they be shot on sight for their treasonous role of disseminating unrest among the colonies. How did they do that? They preached the Bible and they preached freedom and they preached, you know, morality, but they preached being uh, free from the tyrant. In 1796, uh, I think it was uh, George Washington, President George Washington at the time, in his farewell address, now by the way, he was a man of prayer, he stressed the foundational roles that the American preacher and politician played in maintaining good government. He said this, of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. If the American pastor forgets his role in American history, he will have lost his purpose in America's future. America's current crisis are not caused by separation of church and state. And by the way, that's going to be another, that'll be another podcast we'll do because I'm going sick and tired of hearing these libs and even some Republicans don't understand what it means, what the church, uh, uh, the phrase separation of church and state actually means. And so an atheist can come into a, a school and say, well, we can't have prayer in this school. You can't pray before the football game because that violates separation of church and state. That is not even in the Constitution. And it doesn't mean what they say it means. Well, that's going to be another podcast, so you hang in for that. If the church is degenerate and worldly, the pope is responsible. If the world loses its interest in religion, the pope is responsible. If Satan rules in our halls of legislation, the pulpit is responsible. If our politics become so corrupt that the very foundations of our government are ready to fall, the pulpit is responsible. I didn't say that. The great preacher Charles Finney said that there during the Great Awakening. We need Christ, don't we? We need Jesus in our economy. We need Jesus in Congress for sure. We need Jesus in our culture. And the church has got to be the salt and the light. 
Let me tell you something about salt. For salt to work and to preserve and to heal, it must come in contact with that which is decaying. How can you, as a believer, never be involved in politics, put your head in the sand, just try to avoid it, never have any responsibility, never vote. Salt has to be, has to touch what is decaying in order to preserve and to heal it. That to me means you must get involved. You have a mandate from God. America's present crisis is God's door of opportunity for the American clergy and for the American Christian as well. So when is it right to disobey the civil government? Is civil, civil disobedience an option for believers? Romans 13 says obey government authorities, pay our taxes, obey the laws. But if you read chapter uh, Acts chapter 4, you see uh, there's a time when the apostles said that they need to obey God rather than man. When God said yes and the government said no, the apostles had to disobey the government. Now, I'm thinking of another example of this as well. And this kind of goes along with what we're talking about today. If you remember, I don't know if it's 2016-2017, the lesbian mayor of Houston, Anise Parker, she was upset with the pastors in Houston because there was a bunch of them preaching against homosexuality. And specifically, the transgender, and specifically men saying they're women going into bathrooms, women's bathrooms. The city of Houston subpoenaed a group of pastors to turn over their sermons dealing with homosexuality and gender identity. Now, why? Because the pastor spoke out on the gender bill. City council, by executive order, by fiat, they passed a gender bill allowing men to go into a woman's bathroom and vice versa. So what happened? 400 pastors spoke out. Now, watch. 50,000 people signed a petition against the bill. Now, and they were trying to force a vote. Now, according to their own law, they only needed 17,000 signatures on the petition, but they got 50,000. Guess what the city council did? They ignored it. That's when they began to intimidate the pastors. After weeks in the national press, the city council lawyers finally backed down. They had threatened the pastors with jail time and fines for preaching what the Bible says about homosexuality and gender identity and all the above. Now, in the Bible, there's kind of a principle here. Let me get my Bible out again. It's Acts chapter 5. This is the principle. Now, Acts chapter 4 illustrates the principle. You're going to have to go back and read that, Acts chapter 4. But in Acts chapter 5, it says this, and this is the principle that God has laid down. Chapter 5, verse 29. One verse. Here we go. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. There comes a time when the government violates the scriptures, violates morality, when you must say we ought to obey God rather than man. Governments are put in place to carry out God's laws according to the verses I read to you at the beginning. And we can see today how far we've drifted. The atheist groups Right now, there's one atheist group, and oh man, I think it's in Wisconsin, maybe I'm, I'm not quite sure, but it's a large group. They've got millions and millions of dollars. 
They scoured the country looking for somewhere where they could just put Christianity or prayer or something down. There could be a school, there could be a government office where there's prayer or some Christian deal going on and they, they threatened to sue the school system. And so what, what does the school system do? Oh, separates our church and state. And they just, they just back down to them and they cow down to them because they don't want to spend the money. They don't want to be sued. And for some weird reason, they think that they're wrong. If a government commands us to do something that clearly violates God's word, we are to obey God rather than man. And it seems today everything's tolerated except Christianity. We're facing civil opposition in, in many quarters of our society. So let me, let me kind of conclude. We must stand filled with the Holy Spirit and we must say without fear and without apology, I will obey God rather than man. If you claim to be salt and light, you've got to get involved. What does light do? Light exposes darkness. Truth is light. When you speak the truth, you expose darkness. Salt changes things and preserves things, but you've got to sprinkle it on your food. You've got to get involved. We're not to force our views on anyone else, but we need to be persuasive in what we do and how we speak. Public opinion is strong, so we must share our Christian worldview. We become a nation of preferences as opposed to principles. So we need the Lord in culture, in Congress, in economy, in every area of our society. And we need Jesus in our politics. So my friend, I want you to know you have a mandate from God to get involved. Get your head out of the sand. Don't be an ostrich. Get up, find out the truth, all right? Read, study, look, hear, listen. And when the opportunity presents itself, speak be nice be sweet but be persuasive and and the big thing the easiest thing you can do is to get off your butt register to vote and vote in this coming election we have in 2020 it's it's mandated i believe it's mandated by god but i believe it's, it's very important that you get out as a christian believer and vote the folks I saw running on the Democratic side are some of the worst people maybe in the history of this country. And if you don't vote and they win, it's your fault. You've been given this gift from God and that's to be involved. Be involved in your country. This is your country. It's a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, but the people have to take possession of it. The people have to get involved and the people have to vote. All right. Hey, this is the Conservative Mike. I'm Mike Friendzone. See you next time.